All right, with the 2021 draft in the books, I'm going to tell you why this draft class represents a clear schematic shift in Pittsburgh. All right, the 2021 NFL draft in the books. Thank you. A big shout out to everyone who joined me on either day one or day two of the draft right here on Steeler Country. I did a live stream on both days. A ton of fun interacting with everyone in chat and getting to uh, to talk to everyone live as the Steelers were, were picking both Najee Harris in the first round, which was a pick we all saw coming, right? But then kind of the shock of the Steelers passing on Creed Humphrey in round two to take a tight end in Pat Fryermuth. Thank a big again, a big shout out to all of you who joined me for those live streams. And before I get into my thoughts of this draft class, I want to know your thoughts. What do you think about this class as a whole? Did the Steelers do the right thing in taking running back early and then especially waiting until rounds three and four to take an offensive lineman? Should they have gone Creed Humphrey in round number two? Should they have even gone with a guy like Landon Dickerson or, or Tevin Jenkins or some other player in round number one and waited on a running back. Again, want to know your thoughts. Let me know in the comments down below what you think about this Steeler draft class. And while you're down there, go ahead, give me a like on the video. It helps me spread the word about the channel. If you're not subscribed, go ahead and do that as well because you'll be notified of every video here on Steeler Country. All right, let's get into it. Let me give you my thoughts on this class as a whole. It's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? You know, certainly not a lot of us were, were projecting a tight end in round number two. Now, it was very obvious for what felt like you know, a month now that Najee Harris or some one of those top running backs was going to be the pick at 24. And it seemed like every report that came out of Pittsburgh was just how enamored the Steelers were with specifically Najee Harris, but really, you know, those kind of top running backs in this class. And it felt obvious, and it was obvious on draft night, who the Steelers were going to take. But I think that the real shock came in round two. Because yeah, when we talk about Najee Harris in round one, and there was that whole argument of, is, is there any value in a running back in round one? Or would the value be better with an offensive lineman? And you can wait in this class for a player like, you know, Trey Sermon or, you know, Michael Carter, or Kenneth Gainwell, you know, those tier two type players in this class. Maybe a Javonta Williams will fall to you in round two. I mean, there's so much arguments on Twitter going into this class, but no one, no, neither side of that argument saw a tight end in round two coming. And the Steelers waiting until round three to address that offensive line position. But I want to bring up a quote because I think Mike Tomlin tried to tell us this on the Monday before the draft, right? Mike Tomlin said during that Monday press conference, when, when asked about the offensive line in relation to fixing this running game, right? In this offensive line class, improvements to the running game go beyond the acquisition of additional players, schematics, formations, the things that we do to give ourselves a strategic advantage need to be improved as well. And when you start to, to think about that quote in relation to this class, you start thinking about the kinds of players that the Steelers that the Steelers took and how those players are going to fit into what Mike Tomlin is saying is going to be to be potentially a dramatic shift in the type of schematics and formations that we've seen this Steeler team use in the past. I think things start to make a little more sense. So let's go through this pick by pick and I'll tell you what I think about each player and how they fit into what I think is going to be a pretty different system we're going to see Matt Canada run here in Pittsburgh. All right, I'll start with Najee Harris, the bell cow back out of Alabama. And, and you know, not, not much more needs to be said than what's already been said about the player. He gets compared to Le'Veon Bell 
maybe too often for my liking. Look, Le'Veon Bell was an, was an all-pro, you know, Pro Bowl, right, perennial Pro Bowl type player, a guy who was, you know, one of the best backs that the Steelers have ever had in the organization. And I, I just get a little worrisome when, we, when we're comparing rookies to guys of that caliber. But if you're just looking at the traits, right, if you ignore the fact that Le'Veon was this great player, just look at the traits that each guy brought to the table, I mean, I get it, right? I get why these two are compared. You know, the, the, both guys were elite three-down type prospects. And coming out, Najee Harris has all the kind of things that, that Le'Veon Bell had, you know, at, throughout his NFL career, which is, first of all, you talk about his, his ability as a runner. I mean, Najee is powerful between the tackles, but he's also got the vision, the contact balance, the patience, the ability to make people miss in space that you rarely see out of the out of a, of a running back, right? He's, he's a very polished runner. And then you add to that, his receiving ability, which I think really put him over the top for me in this class. Because I look at Javonta Williams and his rushing ability, and specifically what I like about Javonta Williams was I think his contact balance was even better. I mean, the, the, the things that Javonta Williams put on tape in 2020 are, are borderline unprecedented with his ability to run through people, but also, but not just be like a big power back, the burst that he had uh, to create big yardage as well. Something you don't, you rarely see. But the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm sold on the idea of Najee Harris being very clearly running back one in this class is because of Najee Harris and his ability as a receiver, much like with Le'Veon, right? Le'Veon was, was not only a, a great back between the tackles or out, outside the tackles, right? And his ability, his patience, his vision as a runner. But once you got the ball in his hands as a receiver and once, and once you were, were line him out as a receiver or had him start running routes down the field, I mean, this is a guy who as a route runner, and obviously not in the class of a wide receiver, but for a running back, he was fantastic. And Najee Harris, as you watch him in a draft class, in this draft class, I mean, there's nobody in this draft class who is as good a receiver out of the backfield as Najee Harris. And the catch radius that Najee Harris brings to the table, once again, it's just, it, it, you don't, you rarely see this out of running backs. Now I know I'm getting real hyperbolic here. And I'm saying, you know, this kid's the next Le'Veon. I, I don't want to go that far. But if we're just talking about the traits that he brings to the table, I understand the comparisons of Najee Harris to Le'Veon Bell. Not look, there are some potential downsides here to the pick. First of all, let's address the whole value concern here with the pick, right? The idea that there's no value uh, for taking a running back. The Steelers made a huge mistake here getting a running back in round number one. I've been someone in the past, if you've heard me on Locked On Steelers or on AFC North Talk, I've been very critical in the past for, on teams for taking a running back in round number one. Why? Well, the, the, it all comes, people talk about value, but what they really mean by value is opportunity cost. The issue here is the opportunity cost of taking a running back in round one versus taking a player who will either be with your team for longer or be more impactful to the wins and losses of your team or potentially even both, right? That's the issue with taking a running back. Running backs, first of all, you talk about Najee Harris, he's 23. And the way the running back position is going right now, by the time running backs get to about 28, 29 years of age, it's pretty much over for them. You look at running backs right now who are still playing at a high level at that age, there are very, very few. It's really just Melvin Gordon, right? And I guess I guess you could throw Frank Gore in there too because, you know, Frank Gore is the outlier of all outliers at the position. But generally speaking, you reach that age and that's, you know, when things start to come across, start to fall apart and you're no longer a starter caliber player at the position. So the Steelers just took a player in round number one who potentially 
and pro- most and probably will only be a Steeler for five or six seasons. Now, when you take a first round player, you are hoping, right? All things being equal, if you get a good player, well, that player can be with your team for not just the next five or six years. You want that player to be with your, your team for, you know, 10 years, right? Eight to 10 years. That's what you, the Steelers got in guys like David DeCastro, Marquise Pouncey, Cam Hayward, right? You know, when you hit on a first round guy like that, again, all other things being equal, you, know, you will see this player be with the team for a long period of time. Again, a, a eight to 10 year period, but potentially even longer than that. Now, I know people are going to bring up Bud Dupree. Say, Tony, what about Bud Dupree, right? He was a good pick. They had, you know, they let him go. He still had a good career. Well, Bud Dupree is an interesting case because the Steelers, two years later, drafted TJ Watt, who they will, in all likelihood, this offseason, sign to a contract who will keep, which will keep him with the team for the next four years, giving him, what, eight to ten years with the franchise, right? So that's what I mean when I say all the things being equal, running back, half the shelf life. And then we, you know, impactful for wins and losses. Okay, here's, here's, here's why... Here's why I disagree with myself in this instance. And I know I sound like a hypocrite. Oh, Tony, you're just making excuses for the Steelers because they took a running back when you criticize other teams for doing so. Look, the Steelers did make a mistake if they're worried about what this team is going to look like in 2023. There is an opportunity cost for this team taking a running back today and not taking a player who could be potentially more impactful down the line. But when we're talking specifically about the 2021 Steelers and where this team is and where this and what this team needs to improve on, there can be no doubt that the biggest problem with the 2020 Steelers was their ability to run the football. They were the worst rushing football team in the league in every way running. They, they were worse in total yards, worse in yards per carry and worse in short yardage situations. They need to fix that running game and they need to fix it immediately. Now, you'll also hear criticism of the idea that they should have taken an offensive lineman in this spot. I, I w- Again, I would agree with that if this were a, a about a rebuild of the running game that was going to take two to three seasons, in which, yes, you could start to, to make long-term investments in fixing this offensive line. The Steelers do not have that luxury. Ben Roethlisberger is in the final year of his deal. And so, rightly or wrongly, the Steelers are making the calculation that fixing the running game can be done more quickly by getting a, an elite runner in there who can make yards on his own rather than going through a project of fixing the offensive line in the long term. That's the calculation they're making, and I think it's the right one. Ben Roethlisberger's gone in two years. Right? Ben, ben Roethlisberger's potentially gone in a year. And yes, a, a, a better long-term fix would have been to get a more stable player at, at tackle, but it wouldn't have helped the 2021 Steelers win, win football games, and that is what the Nashi Harris pick is all about. So in this case, I will forgive them for taking a running back in round number one. The the other issues though here with Najee Harris, right? Kind of talking about his game itself. The one real thing you see on, on tape is a, is a lack of long speed at times, right? Meaning that I don't think this, I don't think Najee Harris is going to translate to the national football league to be a real game breaker at the next level. And this is not going to be a player who you're going to see taking 60, 70 yard runs to the house. You wanted that player. Travis Etienne is your guy. Now it doesn't have. This is not. This is not a huge knock on Najee Harris. You know the, the Steelers are not drafting Najee Harris to get them 60, 70 yards a pop, right? The Steelers had enough time getting one yard a pop on third and fourth and one last year, where they were, by the way, the worst in the National Football League in third and fourth and short when they ran the football. So that you know. So again, it's it's a it's a concern. It's a slight concern about Najee Harris, the long speed, but not a deal breaker 
whatsoever. The other thing to talk about Najee Harris, which is kind of interesting, given that you're talking about a running back coming out of Alabama who is as productive a runner as we've ever seen in Alabama's system, right? And we've already seen Josh Jacobs come through. We've already seen Derrick Henry come through. We've already seen Mark Ingram come through and have successful NFL careers. And, and Najee Harris is the all-time leading rusher in Alabama history. And yet I will say some of his game is traits-based, right? So, some of his game, what we're projecting him to the NFL is traits-based. It's not productivity-based. When, when I talk about the idea that I think Najee Harris can create his own yards, right? Can be productive even without elite level and a, a, a offensive line play. Well, I'm projecting that because what he had throughout his career at Alabama was elite level offensive line play. And yes, there are times on film where you see him create his own yards. And there are times when the blocking scheme doesn't work out correctly and, and he has to improvise. But those times are few and far between. And so some of what we talk about, we talk about Najee Harris and that elite level vision that, that we see, right? And the patience and the contact balance. Some of that is traits-based because he, was, he wasn't asked to do as much at Alabama as other runners are in, in systems where their offensive line is not as good. And so, you know, it's something to keep in mind with Najee Harris as we go. But again, I, I, I look, I've, I did, I, before the draft, you did not hear me weigh in on the whole running back versus offensive lineman thing. I understand why the Steelers took a running back in round number one. Even if you'll make the argument that, yeah, opportunity cost, value is a concern, fine. It is a concern. You know it's not a concern? 2022 or 2023. We don't care about those years. The Steelers are all in on 2021. What has to be fixed is this running game. It was the worst in the National Football League. And the easiest way to do that, we could talk about fixing the offensive line, but the Steelers, once again, cannot go through a two to three year rebuild of their offensive line. They do not have the luxury of time on their side. They have to fix it right away. The way you fix it right away, get yourself a runner who can do it on his own. Najee Harris is certainly that kind of player. All right, let's move on. Let's get to Pat Fryermuth here. This is when the draft, and it's weird to say this, but this is when the draft went off the rails a little bit, didn't it? it, it right after, you know, it was all going so well. The Steelers got their elite runner. Now they fixed the off. Now they, not to say they fixed the offensive line, but they certainly should be drafting offensive linemen at this point. Start to put yourself in that, and, you know, get yourself a starter at center, maybe a, maybe competition at left tackle for Chooks. And we start to, you know, we're, we're all as fans start to feel like this was a really successful draft class. No one saw Franco Harris getting up there and announcing that the Steelers were going to take a tight end out of Penn State named Pat Fireman. Tight end just not on the radar this early on in the draft class. And you saw that in my reaction on the live stream. Just not Kyle Trask, right? Just not Kyle Trask. Just not. Well, it's going to be another one Tony hopes he's wrong on. <laughs> but let's talk about Pat Frymouth, the player, right? What are the Steelers getting in Pat Frymouth? And why did the Steelers feel like this early on in the, in the draft, they needed to address tight end rather than a potential replacement for either J.C. Hassenauer or B.J. Finney at center, who would be your starters if the season started today? Well, Pat Frymouth is a, is a, is a true two-way tight end, right? Meaning that you're, you're just as comfortable with him as a blocker as you are as a receiver. And he's probably the only tight end in this class you can really say that about. I mean, Kyle Pitts is in a league of his own. He's a freak. 
right? You know, he he deserves to be, yeah, he would deserve to be the, the fourth overall pick in this draft, the first non-quarterback picked in this draft. Pat Fryermuth of the other tight ends in this class was certainly the best of the bunch when it comes to this kind of two-way tight end player. Maybe the only player in this class you'd really consider to be that kind of two-way player. I think he's good enough as a blocker. He's certainly not elite just. I don't even think he was the best blocking tight end in this class, but he certainly got the traits of someone who could develop into a, a potentially very good blocker as a tight end. The thing you're comfortable with him right now, though, is because he is a, he's a good receiver and he's a good route runner. And he's also good enough as a blocker that you can use him all over. Right? You can use him in line, certainly. You're comfortable splitting him out wide. And you're also probably comfortable using him in the backfield as well. And that kind of being multiple with him is going to give Matt Canada some interesting options in the 2020 season. The 2021 season, I should say. The questions I have about, about Pat Frymouth and why, while I understand why they wanted to take a tight end, and we'll talk about that here in a second, I do question the player himself. And I under, look, I understand why why the Steelers wanted to get a two-way tight end, but the athleticism of Pat Frymouth really does concern me. Because you watch him on tape, you, you, look, he didn't test, so we don't, at, you know, we can't talk about his pro day numbers or anything like that. All you can get a sense for, of him athletically is what you see on tape. And what I see on tape I just don't see the kind of player, the kind of athlete that can compete against a modern defense. You know, seven years ago, Ryan Shazier was drafted at the inside linebacker position. And he was thought of as a complete and utter outlier freak athlete. And he really still is. I mean, running a 4-3 as an inside linebacker is still insane to this day. But every year since then, we've continued to see that kind of linebacker, that kind of maybe a little undersized, but really athletic linebacker enter the league Every single season. And so when we're talking about the kind of players, and even, and, and by the way, safeties uh, have, have kind of moved in a very similar direction. And so when we're talking about a tight end like Fryermuth, who I think athletically speaking is, is certainly not on the level of a, you know, of kind of what you want out of a modern tight end. Not to say every tight end has to be a 4-3, guy, but you probably want your tight ends right now, you know, running in the 4-5s or the 4-6s. And reports are about Fryermuth that in high school, he ran 4-9. So yeah, he might have gotten faster by then, and you know maybe he would have run what, four eight, you know maybe in the four sevens. It's still again, I think athletically speaking, just not where you want to be because you know I think about the even the players that got drafted in this class, the Jameen Davises, the the Zayvon Collins, the Jeremiah Owusu Kormos, right, the Micah Parsons of the world. You know, is Pat Frymouth going to beat those guys one on one? And he is a savvy route runner. I'll give him that. But I just think athletically, even if he is a savvy route runner, the the the, the athletic makeup speed ability of those kind of linebackers is going to be a problem for Fryermuth. Again, it's not, and again, you don't have to be an elite athlete at tight end to be a good player. Look at Rob Gronkowski, who you know, again, this is not a guy who ran four four. You know, I mean, this is not your elite level athlete, but he was a bully at the position, and you know, he he was going up. You know, we all know as Steeler fans, we watched him bully Sean Davis for sixty minutes in that game uh, quite a few years back against the Patriots and he just had that kind of bully ball mentality the kind of power forward you know uh box out mentality as a tight end where he was going to go up there and get the football now you have the elite catch radius and the and the the strength at the catch point to bring everything down I watch when I watch Frymouth on tape I don't see that either and so I, I worry about him as a receiver at the next level of what are you right are you are you going to be an elite round runner a separator as a tight end or are you going to be more of a bully you're going to try and be a little of both because I don't see either on tape just yet I hope I'm wrong. Obviously, as a Steeler fan, I hope I'm wrong here. And I hope what the Steelers see in him actually translates much like it did a year ago. I was very off on who Chase Claypool was going to be as a professional. And, and I hope that I'm wrong here on Fryermuth. 
But let, let's transition here and, and not talk about, you know, we won't focus here on, on what I don't like about Fryermyth. Let's talk about what I do like and what I've come around on, which is the idea of taking a tight end early on. Right? Clearly, the Steelers know that they're, they were going to have to address the offensive line, specifically the center position in this class. But they felt confident enough in passing on uh, a center, passing on a guy like Creed Humphrey, to take a guy like Fryermyth in round two. Why? Why was it so important for this team to add a tight end early on? Was there just so much value in Fryermith round two? They just couldn't possibly pass on a player of this caliber. Again, I, I don't think that that second part is the case. I think this team really valued having the kind of tight end that Pat Fryermith is, the kind of player who can be multiple. Because if you go back to that Matt Canada video that I did, if you haven't watched it, highly recommend you do. It went over kind of what we can, what we as Steeler fans can expect from, from Matt Canada's offense. But what you can expect from Matt Canada's offense, to kind of boil that video down to a 30-second soundbite here, motion. Motion shifts motion. It's hard to say, you know, exactly what kind what kind of scheme exactly he's going to run at the NFL level because this is the first time we've seen him design an NFL offense. But I do think, I think the one thing he's going to take with him and what you saw last season with the little sprinklings of Matt Canada we saw in, in Randy Fickner's offense is the kind of motion that, that he's run his entire career. And the shifts I think you're going to see a lot of in 2021. And when you when you think about 12 personnel, right? one running back, two tight end, a personnel that scheme that the Steelers didn't really run a whole lot in 2020, just, just about 12% of their snaps out of 12 personnel. And the Steelers weren't super comfortable putting both Eric Ebron and Vance McDonald on the field at the same time. You know, Vance McDonald, look, the, the, the wear and tear in his body over time has, has been dramatic, and it's why he retired at the end of the 2020 season. And the Steelers would, you know, used a little bit of 12, but they weren't really comfortable throwing out of it. In fact, the Steelers only threw the ball 30% of the time uh, in those situations. When I think about 12 personnel this season now, going with Pat Fryermuth and going with Eric Ebron at that spot, and you think about kind of the, the multiple looks that Matt Canada wants to give you, especially on a, on a, you know, on, a, on any individual play, right? With the kind of shifts that he runs. The interesting thing now about when the Steelers run 12 is they can run 12 in a multitude of different ways. I mean, sure, there are two tight ends out there and there's one running back, right? Those two tight ends are Ebron and Fryermuth, and that running back is, is Najee Harris. But it could, in, a, in essence, be 11, right? Because you could have either Ebron or Freiman split out, split out wide, right? Split in the slot. Or you could split them all the way out wide and put Juju in the slot, right? You could run Freiman, you know, it could be 21, where Freiman is, tech, you know, while, well, yes, he's technically tight end, he's at the running back position. Or you could run him as two, two, uh, two tight ends, or you could run them as four wide, right? You could split them both out. Comfortable in all of those different ways. What we know about Matt Canada is, He'll run multiple of those of those shifts on an individual play, making defenses have to think every time, what am I looking at here? Who is where and what is my assignment? Right? And being able to be that kind of multiple at that out of that formation um, and being able to run 12, but with, with Frymouth and the kind of the level of blocker that he is, being more comfortable, not just running out of it, but also throwing out of it, is going to be a big part of, again, keeping defenses on their heels, something that Matt Canada loves to do. I think 12 personnel, judging by this pick, I, I and sitting where I am today, I think 12 personnel may be a much bigger part of Matt Canada and the system he's bringing in than we had originally thought. All right, let's move over here to Kendrick Green, the center out of Illinois. Finally, the Steelers address offensive line. Ha, ah, okay. We can all breathe a sigh of relief. BJ Finney will not be the starting center come opening day. No, that will likely be Kendrick Green. Now, Kendrick Green's an interesting player. 
because the reason and the reason why he fell so far in this draft class is because he is he is truly undersized at just six foot one he's one of the shortest centers in the class and really one of the shortest centers we've seen in recent memory but he did test athletically speaking right in that relative athletic score there he tested really really well i mean his testing was off the charts specifically in the vertical and the broad jump two things where they try to test your explosion and that is one thing when you watch kendrick green on film that is the thing you see immediately is that explosion off the line of scrimmage yes he's a small player at 6-1 but he's a small player who doesn't play small the tenacity the physicality of, of kendrick green off the line of scrimmage is that of a much bigger player he plays like a big player because he is so uh tenacious off the line of scrimmage, so explosive off the line of scrimmage and physicality is such a big part of what adrian clem the steelers new offensive line coach has been preaching all off season the the fact that the steelers offensive line has grown passive over time and that what he wants to do is is reintroduce a level of physicality on this offensive line that we haven't seen in years prior certainly he is going to get that out of kendrick green in fact if there's another knock on kendrick green it's that's just that he's undersized but it's that kind of explosion that tenacity that can get him in trouble at times. He can be, you know, again, uh, too quick off the ball, and it can be used against him at times. And that's the kind of thing where you might need to reel it back a bit. But as we know about about the game of football, it is much better to have a player who is who has that kind of aggressive play style and try to get him to back it off a little bit than it is to get a player who's more naturally passive and try to make that player aggressive. So you got to like that out of. Kendrick Green. And he may get into trouble against some zero techniques, right? Some of the better zero techs. When you're, you know, when he's going to be kind of face to face with those 350 pound big boys at the next level, I, you know, certainly that that could be some trouble for him, and he's going to have to, uh, he's going to have to adjust to that at the next level. But where you want him really is at the second level or out in space, right? You know, pulling around end. That's where the athleticism, you know, that's where he does his work. That's where you see him on tape putting out his best work. He ran it primarily in a zone scheme in college, a, a zone blocking scheme in college in the running game. And, and pro football focus graded him out as one of the best offensive linemen in an outside zone scheme, That's which is what Illinois primarily ran. And it's interesting when you look at it that way. Not to say the Steelers, look, the Steelers run, have run primarily a gap or power style of running game. They run zone as well. It's not to say that they're, they are... Uh, they're only there, you know, they, they only run gap. They run zone as well, right? They're, they're multiple in there, but they're primarily a gap or power scheme. So the Steelers are taking a player who has primarily played in zone, but he's a player who's going to have to likely start right away. So are the Steelers going to be teaching him, hey, you're trying to teach him a, a brand new scheme, which is not, uh, not the end of the world. Certainly they could do that. Or do the Steelers feel more comfortable with a guy like Kendrick Green because of the system he played in? Well, hold on to that thought for a second. Let me go back over to, to our, the Steelers' fourth-round selection, Dan Moore Jr., uh, the tackle out of Texas A&M. Now, there's, there's some criticism here uh, that this player was potentially overdrafted. When you look at you know where pro, pro Football Focus had him, where the Athletic had him, where the Draft Scout had him, where NFL.com's Lance Zerline had him in their rankings, all of those pretty much had him pegged as a late day three type of player, a player you could likely find in round six or potentially even into round seven the Steelers elect to make him their first selection on day three of the draft with their first fourth round selection so did they overdraft him well let's go through who Dan Moore is 
as a player. And I think you'll once again understand why the Steelers took a player like Dan Moore, what could be considered early in the draft. Dan Moore is a three-year starter, 2,500 snaps in his college career against SEC talent, and he was a finalist for the top offensive lineman in the country. Once again, athletically speaking, much like Kendrick Green, through the roof. And not, not a small player. Again, 6'5", 3'11", you see there. This is not someone who's athletic but undersized. No, he is just, he, he's athletic, but he has the size to match. And what, you know, he's once again, the kind of player where when you look at his testing specifically in things that test explosion, the vertical, the broad jump, very good in those areas. And another player who played in a zone scheme. His best plays are his abilities in that kind of outside zone scheme. And so when I look at both Kendrick Green and Dan Moore, uh, you're looking at two players who played who were multi-year starters. Kendrick Green, also a three-year starter, also had 2,200-plus snaps in his college career. Two guys who are kind of proven at the collegiate level that they can be multi-year starters and two players who played primarily in zone schemes. Now, is Adrian Clem taking two players who played primarily in zone schemes and going to put them in year one in a primarily gap scheme. I don't think so. I think the Steelers are likely, when I look at this class and when I look at these top four picks, I think the Steelers are likely going to move to a much more zone-heavy scheme, potentially a much more outside zone-heavy scheme. Because when you think about the Steelers using more outside zone and knowing what Matt Canada wants to do with motion and getting guys out in space. First of all, you talk about Najee Harris in the outside zone, where... You know, then the big difference here between outside zone and gap, for those of you who, who aren't, you know, aren't well versed in this, right? Gaps, gap schemes are basically, we're running to a gap, right? That's why I called gap, right? You're, you're running to a gap, uh, whether it's the A gap, C gap, right? You know, we, by the, you know, between the tackle and guard or between the, the center and guard, right? Where, where is this play designed to go? And that's where the runner is primarily going to hit. Whereas in an outside zone scheme, and you see this in San Francisco, right? The idea here is when you see the offensive line kind of flow to one side, um, you know, again, you and you're getting guys to the second level, and you're letting the running back kind of pick his lane himself, right? There is not kind of necessarily a gap that he's hitting. He's kind of finding the crease, finding the hole, or potentially even finding a cutback lane where you can. And the nice thing about outside zone is that because again, it's it's very horizontal. It it's it stops defenders from being you know kind of coming downhill at you because again, once once the runner sees that happening, he can cut inside, potentially hit a cutback lane. And when you have a player like Najee Harris, who, as we talked about, has the kind of vision, the patience that you would want, right? When you're asking a running back to, to, to be good at finding that hole in the outside zone, Najee Harris checks that bill, as does Kendrick Green, right? As does Dan Moore. And then you think about the idea, potentially, and I'm going to get crazy here, but what if the Steelers ran play action, which I know they haven't done in years past. The Steelers ran the least play action in the league last year. Uh, I, I think the Steelers might run a little more play action this year. And then you start thinking about the outside zone and the play action you can run off of outside zone and trying to, you know, uh, again, coming across the formation with potentially a player like Deontay or Claypool, guys who we know are good in open space and how much uh, that the Matt Canada offense is built on things like that, or you could leak Ebron on that side. Right? Yeah, again, these are the kind of things that I think Matt Canada is going to feast on if indeed this is where he's going with the offense. And, and I have a, a pretty good inkling that this is where the offense is going, that you're going to start to see this offense run far more 12 personnel than we've seen, try to be more multiple out of those looks, and then try to run a little more of a zone-heavy scheme on the offensive line, get guys flying off the ball, get guys into the second level, combo blocks, and the athleticism that the Steelers now have out of guys like, you know, potentially Dan Moore, 
And we'll see where Dan Moore competes, where he fits in. Does he compete more with Zach Banner on the right side? Does he compete with Chooks on the left? Remains to be seen. Uh, but certainly when you look at what Kendrick Green is, is good at, I mean, you know, again, getting this guy out to the second level or getting him, you know, uh, athletically out there uh, in the outside zone certainly fits with what his skill set brings to the table. So that that's what excites me is that, you know, for all the talk of this offense being a Ben Roethlisberger offense, right, that this thing is, it all runs through Ben and, you know, the offensive coordinator is just there to service what Ben wants to do. If I'm looking at this draft class right now, I will tell you that that, is, that could not be further from the truth. Right, these four players here are more here to fit into how Matt Canada wants to change this offense, how he wants to drastically change this offense, and how you know again, I think how little Ben can Ben is going to have control over what the Steelers are doing in 2021. All right, but so that's it basically for the offensive side of the ball. Now the Steelers move to the defensive side of the ball with a player in Buddy Johnson, who, yes, you guessed correctly, very athletic. The Steelers certainly had a type. Uh, in this in this kind of day uh, late day two early day three players, uh, Buddy Johnson certainly a, a traits based prospect. You know again that athleticism uh, comes in handy and you see it on tape. I think he's a little overly aggressive at times. I think he's got to get better in coverage. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to, to me to see where he fits in because I don't think this is a player. You know we talk about the the first couple picks in this class and when I you know I look at these four players and I think all four of these players you know, all the way from Najee to Dan Moore could potentially have immediate impacts early on in the season, right? You know, Dan Moore, I think, you know, if if he, uh, because he, you know, he, he's played in the SEC for as long as he has, and the struggles we already saw Chooks have on the right side last year, now he's going to com- convert over to the left side. I, I think Dan Moore could compete. Now, Dan Moore's got a ton of stuff to work on himself, right? His hand usage could be a lot better. His feet really need to get a lot better, and, and Clem's going to have a ton of time spent in training camp, I'm sure, working on Dan Moore, uh, working on that back pedal. Um, but... You know, if Dan Moore could come in and compete with Chooks, I think potentially, you know, if it works out well for the Steelers, Dan Moore could be your starter at left tackle over Chooks Okorafor. Um, Buddy Johnson, on the other hand, he's the first player in this class where I really think the only chance we're going to see him on the field year one is in special teams. You know, linebacker is a long-term need for this team. Short term, though, they've got some players on the roster in Robert Spillane and Vince Williams who I think better fit you know, a kind of right now type of mold. Um, But Buddy Johnson's a player who, once again, traits-wise, I think projects to be a player who could fit alongside Devin Bush because he, you know, he projects as a kind of player who, again, he plays with that kind of aggressiveness. So you need to back that off a little bit. Uh, But he's a player who I think could keep up, you know, athletically speaking, he can keep up with everything you're asking him to do. He's a good tackler. Um, Yeah, I I think think he could certainly be a long-term answer here. I think he's going to have to make the team via special teams. And when you look at, you know, the fact that Ulysses Gilbert is is there, Marcus Allen is there, Vince Williams already there, I think one, you know, and then Buddy Johnson's there. I mean, one of those four players is not going to make the roster. And I think Buddy Johnson is going to be one of those guys. I mean, they're not going to cut a fourth round pick. And I think Vince Williams is likely going to be one of those four guys. So Ulysses Gilbert, Marcus Allen may be in a two dog, one bone type situation. Going over to Isaiah Loudermilk, a, a surprising selection. The Steelers trading away a fourth round pick in 2022 to get into the fifth round of this year's draft to take a player who you'll notice here not really thought of by the national draft media right i mean this is a player who was not on pff's big board was not on the athletics consensus big board was not on matt miller of the draft scouts big board 
whatsoever. And as you can see, uh, Lance Zerline, who did scout Loudermilk, didn't love him. You know, the Steelers talked about Loudermilk, and what they said about him is they loved his size, right? The, the kind of 6'6 frame, 274 pounds. Obviously, that's something you can't teach. Didn't really test out, athletically speaking, as a, as a premier prospect. But, you know, when you're looking at what the Steelers look for from interior defensive linemen, again, you're not looking for the superior athlete there. You'd be able to to, uh, to occupy space. Um, and the Steelers really like that at Wisconsin, they were in a very similar situation to what the Steelers are going to be asking Loudermilk to do as far as playing that kind of five technique and then kicking inside on passing downs. I got to be honest. Look, you know, I haven't watched a ton of Loudermilk. The, the tape I have watched is pretty unremarkable. Um, you know, if, if the Steelers feel like he was such a good prospect, they needed to trade back in as a fan that has to make you excited because of the fact that the Steelers, you know, behind Hayward into it, just haven't had a whole lot to work with. And Wormley, Bugs, they bring in uh, Abdullah Anderson. You know, there, there are some guys that, that are already on this roster who Loudermilk's going to have to compete with. But boy, again, trading away a, a pick in 2022 for this player, you have to imagine he makes the roster and potentially over time they could develop this guy. It's another player who I'm not sure he really fits in in 2020 as far as a, a, a player we're going to see a lot of this season. But if the Steelers were this excited about the player, you hope that what they saw translates into the National Football League. I'll tell you a player who I think will translate into the National Football League, and that's Quincy Roche. Quincy Roche is a guy who, when I watch him on film, look, I know that this is a class all about traits, when it comes, especially when it comes to this edge class, right? Athletic traits, things you, you know, the kind of natural bend that some of these guys have, the 4-3 speed you see out of a guy like Jason Owe. Um, but when I watch Quincy Roche, I see a more technically refined pass rusher that I think maybe even from day one could be a guy who could, who's really going to impress as what was a sixth round pick. This is not a guy who should have been a sixth round pick. When I watch Quincy Roche on tape, I see someone who at, at worst is a fourth round pick and potentially even a third round pick. Really violent hands, really good hand usage. Understanding that, you know, as an undersized uh, edge rusher, which is what Quincy Roche is, and he, he's a little, you know, limited athletically as well, his hand usage is, is top notch. I mean, he really understands that he cannot let tackles get their hands on him and so you know his his kind of rip moves the counters he has inside his bend coming around the edge he's a really refined pass rusher which is, is so unique especially in this class he dominated the senior bowl he's a pass rusher with a plan and I love that about him I think this is a guy who can step in right away and, and be a third edge rusher and not a third edge rusher in the caliber of like an Anthony Ciccolo who was a special teamer who just had to kick on the field when one of the edge rushers was tired. No, I think Quincy Roche can come in and make an impact where we haven't seen a Steelers third edge rusher make an impact other than Highsmith last year, who was a third round pick, but we haven't seen a guy like that prior. So really excited about the Roche pick. Trey Norwood, it says cornerback here. He's going to be a safety for the Steelers, going to be a, a converted safety, uh, excuse me, a converted corner to safety. I think he only played somewhere around 300 snaps in his collegiate career at safety. So this is certainly going to be a project for a guy like Terrell Austin. But the Steelers need a free safety type. They don't have a great depth behind Minka Fitzpatrick and Terrell Edmonds. Uh, so that gives Trey Norwood maybe an inside track to make this roster. Norwood really struggled as a corner at Oklahoma, which is you know kind of causing this transition for him to safety and primarily to play as a free safety spot. His best path to the roster early on may be via special teams. 
And speaking of special teams, well, we got to talk about your new favorite player. If you haven't heard yet, the Steelers, yes, they drafted a punter. Why draft a punter? Well, a couple reasons. Number one, the Steelers have been trying to get rid of Jordan Berry for quite a while now. They tried last season with Justin Colquitt. That did not work out. They brought Jordan Berry back, and here we are. The Steelers are drafting a punter to try and compete once again. We can get excited about a lot of things about Presley Harvin III. Sure, you can get excited about the fact this is a player who had a 48-yard per punt average this past season. That was not just a school record for Georgia Tech. No, that was an all-time ACC record. You can get excited about the fact that he was the Ray Guy Award winner. He was the best punter in the nation last season. These are all very exciting things. You know what I'm excited about? Look at this number here. Presley Harvin is a six foot, 260 pound punter. This is a big dude, a very big dude. And I don't mean tall. My goodness. 260 pounds, by the way, just to show you something real quick, we're talking about Quincy Roche, a player who I like a lot. Quincy Roche could be the third edge rusher this year and, and someone who the Steelers don't have to go out and feel like they have to bring in a veteran for that spot right now, given that behind Quincy Roche is, is Cassius Marsh, a player who no Steeler fan wants to see on the roster. Quincy Roche, by the way, oh, he's 245. The punter, the punter is a bigger human than the Steelers' new edge rusher. Oh, yes. Get excited, Steeler fans. We've got a big boy punter, and he's got a big leg. The Steelers, As I said, the Steelers have been trying to get Jordan Berry out of here for a little while now. And Presley Harvin seems to be a guy who's probably going to... He is physically going to be pushing Jordan Berry out of the organization. All right. That'll do it for this draft class. It's a, as I said at the top, it's a bit of a weird class. I think it's not one that we expected when 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 this thing started. I think a lot of a lot of Steeler fans, myself included, expected to see... While we knew offensive line was unlikely in round one, we expected that run on offensive linemen to start in round two. Tight end, a real shock there. But as I explained... I think this 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 class is much more about what Mike Tomlin was talking about. This was a draft about schematics, about formations, about doing things that give themselves a strategic advantage. Those are the things beyond the acquisition of players here. Those are the things the Steelers wanted to improve on. That's exactly what Mike Tomlin tried to tell us before the draft. Najee Harris is that every down back. He's going to come in and he is likely going to be a very good player for this team. But what Pat Fryermuth, what Kendra Green, and what Dan Moore represent as far as the schematic shifts that Matt Canada's bringing to this offense should really get you excited as a Steeler fan. No longer are we going to have to deal with the 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 Randy Feigner offense and on the, the, the lethargic nature, the lack of ideas, the lack of creativity that came along with that. No, instead, fresh new ideas are being brought into this offense and an idea to fix this thing in the short term. One last ride for Ben Roethlisberger. One last ride to try and get that seventh Lombardi. All right. Thank you all for watching today. Hope you enjoyed the video. If you did, leave me a like down there. I appreciate that. And of course, I want to hear what you think about this draft class. So leave your comments down below. Also, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you're notified when whenever I post a new video here. And I'll, I'll be back soon with more Steeler Country.